Welcome to the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com, and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Vitality Shift Podcast. This is Dr. Don McDonald, your host, and today I get a super special guest. Uh, usually, I'm interviewing chiropractors on here, and we're talking about how to increase the vitality of not only the chiropractors, but how to explain this to our practice members or our patients. And one of the biggest things in vitality for us to survive is also our business. And so as we all know, we go through school, we learn how to be amazing chiropractors, but we don't really learn that much about business. And so I have an expert here to help us increase the vitality of our business. So I am very happy to uh, introduce Mike Michalowicz from the book Profit First, which I just actually finished it yesterday. So welcome to the <laughs> podcast. Dr. Don, thank you so much for having me. This is so good. Good. It's so funny. I just saying we, we work with chiropractors all over the world and, and actually people who've been listening to this podcast, I think I've had two previous um, guests who have actually referenced this book. Oh, that's so, great. So I think it's so cool that I actually get to get the author on here to be able to explain it because us, us chiropractors need some, um, we need some help in our financial literacy. And, and I, by going through your book, it sounds like we're not the only one. It seems like a lot of entrepreneurs need that financial literacy. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just down at Life University. It's a chiropractic center. Yes. Down in Georgia. Yeah. So yeah. I was just down there recently speaking to chiropractors. And I was uh, taken aback by the lack of business preparation. And that's nothing about the university. This is just, no. and these are just people that were gathering there. And uh, it's surprising, but it's also common in in most uh, business expertise that we learn through universities and training, we learn the expertise of doing, but not of managing the business. So well, and I, I find too, really because, because in that area, like you said, cause we're, we're basically like employees in our business. Cause I, yeah. I like how you differentiate that. We're, we're not only a business owner, but we're also the number one employee. Right. <laughs> right. In our right. business. But it takes so long to be kind of masterful in chiropractic that like you almost don't have time in that in that realm to learn business. So right. then it seems like when you graduate, you write your board exams. Now you're like, OK, I'm certified. I can actually get out and practice. Then that's when people have to start learning their business skills. <laughs> that's true. So, so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about how you got into this? Because you've, you've, you've released a whole ton of books and you're helping people all over the world. And how did you even kind of get into doing this in the first place? Yeah, so I'm very much on a, a life's purpose, at least that's how I've defined it for myself, to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And what that is, is there, there's this gap. Like the day you start your own chiropractic practice, yeah. people think you're a multimillionaire, uh, that you barely work, you just, you know, you, you do some adjustments and, and you're back home drinking Mai Tais. <laughs> you know, but the reality is for most business owners, chiropractic or otherwise, we work ridiculous hours, we're making far less and we ever anticipated, and there's this gap, and I call that gap entrepreneurial poverty. My purpose on this planet, I truly believe, is to close that gap, to, to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And uh, how I'm doing it is as a small business author. So I, I've written a, a mix of books now, Profit First being my most popular. Um, and I'm just I'm trying to simplify the process. Because if you think about it, you start your own practice, um, 
you're able to attract prospects and, and deliver the service and coordinate the logistics. There's a lot of stuff that you weren't trained for, but you're actually pulling it off and doing it. Um, mm. But there's these certain elements, like profit being the biggest one, that we just can't seem to figure out. So I wrote the book and I write all my books to simplify the process so we can understand it, grasp it, and actually make profit a reality. Mm, that's so cool. And so, um, and I, I just, from reading your book, it sounds like you uh, learned by not having profit and, and doing it the wrong way. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit, because usually we become really good at something because we did something not so good at the beginning. Right? Isn't that funny? So uh, in the moment, it's, it's, it doesn't feel so funny, but in retrospect, <laughs> yeah. like, ah, I needed that. Yeah. So I, um, I've been an entrepreneur the entirety of my life. Ever since I graduated college, I've been running businesses and had some early successes from the outside. They grew. I was never profitable. I was surviving check by check, but I was playing the cash flow game. If I could just keep selling for the day, it'll get me through tomorrow. Well, I started a third business. I, I built those businesses and I ultimately was blessed to sell them. But I started a third, third business just assuming this is the only way to build a business is grow, 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 uh, and, and grow fast. So I, I put all the money I had back into my new businesses. Um, I, I was full of arrogance and ignorance, which is a deadly combination. And I lost all my money. I, my third business was as an angel investor starting other businesses. Mm -hmm. I had no right to be in that space. <laughs> I wiped myself out financially. And uh, the turning moment for me was I had to come home to my family to tell them we were gonna lose our house, which we lost, our, our possessions, cars, you know, everything. I had to tell my daughter, who's nine years old at the time, that um, she, we could no longer send her to horseback riding lessons, her little passion, because I couldn't afford the $20 group session. I, we were broke. Mm. And as I'm saying, so I'm crying, because uh, this is the first time I'm revealing to my family how bad it really is. I was lying to them by omission. My daughter, she jumped up away from her chair and she ran to her bedroom to grab her piggy bank. And she came running back to me and she was, Daddy, if you can't help us, I will. And she would, <laughs> if you can't help us, make you feel really good. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, the, it was the, I needed that. It was a knife plunged into my heart and my soul. And I, um, I realized at that moment, I had no understanding, real understanding of business financials and how to manage them. I thought I did. I had no clue. And so that set me on a new trajectory. And it wasn't like the next morning I woke up and I'm like, I've got this figured out. I suffered from depression. I started to drink a lot. I just did things I shouldn't do. Yeah. And, um, but over, it planted the seed at least. And it took me a few years, but then I started to explore what I wasn't doing right. And profit first, what I discovered is that I always treated profit as the last thing. We're actually told it's the bottom line or the year end. Mm -hmm. So I'd wait, wait until the end of the year and say, hey, is there money? And there wasn't that big, oh, maybe next year. <laughs> but when something comes last or is the year end or bottom line, all those things say it's insignificant in the moment. It's the perpetual manana syndrome. So I didn't profit first. I said, what if starting today, every time a sale comes into my business, I immediately take a predetermined percentage of profit, remove it from my business, hide it away, and then run my business off what's truly available to operate the business. It's the pay yourself first principle, simply apply it to business. And I started to do that uh, now 11 years ago. And um, it, it changed my life. I've had 43 consecutive quarters of profit distributions. The next one happens in a month from when we're recording this. And um, it became a book. Um, and, and now there's over 300,000 businesses that have implemented Profit First successfully. Wow, that's amazing. So, yeah, it's been incredible. So, so what are some of the, so that I just will talk a little bit about this because sometimes people say, well, um, and I like how you say when you set up a business, it should be set up to have profit from right off the bat. 
And, and, and so a lot of people think like, how is that even possible? So like, what, what do you, what do you say to people that might think that that's not possible to have it set up? Right. Cause we're told, right. It takes money to make money. You've got yeah. to invest in your business. It's all about growth. Um, and those are just mythologies that are perpetuated. A business um, can immediately take profit because here's how it works. When, when a, when a dollar comes into a business, we by default believe we have a dollar for the business and that's not true. So we spend every penny we make. We say, oh, I got a dollar and I can spend a dollar. I got a thousand dollars, I can spend a thousand dollars. The reality is that money has multiple responsibilities. So let's say a thousand dollars comes in today. thousand um, dollars comes in, some of that money needs to pay for, for profitability, which is the sustainability of a business. If you're not profitable, the business ultimately will go out of business. Sustainability is through profit. Yeah. Part of it goes to owner's compensation, which is different, which is you are also an employee of your business. So you get a normalized salary. Part of it, we have tax liabilities. I can't tell you how many times I talk with entrepreneurs and myself, you know, at the end of the year, uh, the tax bill comes, which is you, for many businesses, the biggest bill we have is our tax bill and we're not prepared for it. And it's like, oh my gosh, I, what? You know, we need to have a uh, 50% off all chiropractic services for the next month just to get some money in. Right. <laughs> And, and a portion of that money needs to go to the operations of the business. The default thinking is $1,000 comes in, I have $1,000 to operate my business. No, you have at least these four of the responsibilities we need to carve it up for. So what we do is basically the envelope system. This is an old method that yes. came in from your, you know, yeah. you, you know probably, my, yeah. my mother did it with our house. And, and when you, she worked at a local uh, plant down the street and she worked part-time and she'd cash in her check and some would go into the food envelope, one would go into the mortgage, another one to give back to our community. And when my mother went food shopping, she just grabbed the food envelope and work with what was in there. Mm. That's how the envelope system works. Well, we do the same thing for our business. But the realization I have is that almost all entrepreneurs do what's called bank balance accounting. Mm. Grab our phone or log into the computer. We see how much money is in our bank. And based upon the bank balance, we make decisions how to operate our business. Most of us don't go into the complex uh, worksheets and stuff in our accounting system. We don't read the income statement and balance sheet and tie those in together. We just revert to a simple method. So those envelopes need to be at your bank. So in practice, what we do is we set multiple accounts at your bank. We'll have an account called income. That's where the deposits come in. It's a serving tray of cash, basically. We then carve that money up and put it into profit, owner's compensation we talked about, tax responsibilities, and OPEX. Then we divide this money up based upon percentages, just like the envelope system. When, time, when it comes time to pay bills, you grab that food envelope, your OPEX account, you see how much money's in there, and your business is now telling you to operate your business, you must work within the confines of what's here. Because if you want to be profitable, if you want to pay yourself a reasonable salary, you don't want to worry about taxes, you need to work within this. And then we have to start adjusting accordingly. Basically, we're reverse engineering profitability, and uh, we have a simple saying here at our office, if you can't pay your bills in the circumstance, that's your business telling you you can't afford your bills. There's something fundamentally flawed with your business. You need to increase margins, charge more for what we do, demonstrate more value, and cut unnecessary costs. And a lot of businesses actually have unnecessary costs. Well, and it's so funny because I have uh, one of my mentors, uh, he's a chiropractor named John Demartini, and he talked about the Parkinson's law. That's the first time I heard about it, like quite a long time ago. But maybe you can just mention how, because we're talking two ways is like one, one, and again, we'll talk about this later too, is that sometimes even with chiropractors, all they think about is just, I need to grow, grow, grow. And that's all that's in their brain. And, and at the end of the day, they might not be getting a profit or they might, who knows, but maybe tell the listeners a little bit about the Parkinson's law and how that just kind of it just bleeds into your expenses and then it sure. just, it just got, it comes in and then it goes. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you got it, Dr. Don. The, 
the process or the function of Parkinson's law is a behavioral function. And in fact, when I wrote Profit First, it's all based upon behavioral theory, how our mind operates. Mm-hmm. Parkinson, he, was a, uh, he studied uh, human behavior back in the 1950s. And his theory was that our utilization of a resource will expand to meet the availability of that resource. I mean, the more you have of something, the more you'll consume of it. Now, his studies were mostly around time. So the more time you're given to complete a project it actually takes longer. So you know, if you and I were negotiating a contract, I say, hey, Dr. Don, I'll get you the, uh, the contract in a week. Is that okay? And you accept that. It'll probably take me a week. Right. If you and I, the same people, have the same conversation about the same parameters, but I say, I'll get to you in one day, I'll likely get it done in a day. Compress the availability of time, we actually function more effectively. We, we produce faster. Mm-hmm. But this is true for food. Uh, the more food you put on your plate, the more we consume. A big problem in, in the reason we have an expanding waistline as a global society now is because plates have actually got doubled in size in the last 300 years. George Washington and his buddy were, were eating off of what we consider coffee saucers or dessert <laughs> plates. We, we, our plates have doubled in size. Our portions are not doubled in size. Because there's more food available, we consume more. Uh, look, at, look at those 16 or 12-ounce soda cans are now doubled in size. You see these like huge long cans are becoming more and more popular. That's going to affect us. Well, it affects us with money too. The more money we have available in a single bin in front of us, the more we'll spend. So the more money comes in, you may notice it's your business. You're pushing to grow, pushing to grow. And yeah, it's starting to get some traction, but it almost seems uncannily expenses increase the exact same rate. Right. Parkinson's law. More cash available, the more we'll automatically spend. What Profit First does is it intercepts that behavior. What we do is we take portions of that money, allocate these different accounts, and then there's this next step where we can hide the money so we can't even see it. Now, when we log into our bank account, like we always do, that's our natural behavioral path. You see money in the OPEX, and it shows you what money's truly truly available. The last part I want to share about Parkinson's law, which was fascinating, Parkinson pointed out how innovative we get when there's less supply. When there's less time to get work done, we become more efficient. We find shortcuts and stuff. When there's... um, less food on our plate, we'll actually savor. You ever go to a French restaurant where they serve like a single pea and that's your dinner, we'll actually carve it into many pieces. We'll slow down our consumption and savor. It's very innovative. You ever run out of toothpaste uh, at home, you'll find ways to keep extracting toothpaste for weeks somehow miraculously. I love that analogy. When you're saying that in the book, you guys all got to get the book, but when you're talking about the toothpaste thing, I was laughing so much because it's so true. You got a full tube of toothpaste. You just (laughs) cake it on. And if it falls off, you don't care. You just cake on more. And then at the end, you're just squeezing that sucker out. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, our, our behavior changes. So it's an, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's an automatic response to supply. Mm-hmm. As we constrain the availability of money, it's just like sc- constrained toothpaste. You start becoming innovative. Maybe you don't need that office space like you thought you did. Maybe you don't need that waiting room. There's ways we'll start reconsidering what we have and do we really need that? Um, I worked with a chiropractor and it was interesting. He had a receptionist in the waiting room. And what we simply tried out was a kiosk. Um, and people actually seemed to prefer that. We had a nice Apple iPad kiosk. It says check in. It would send a chime notifying the doctor you were here and you get an automatic response from the system. And now it reduced costs significantly. So he was able to, to reduce cost, increase his profitability, but he would have never done that unless he started taking his profit first. Mm, that's interesting. Can, it, it, can, can you maybe just give an example? Because it's always nice to learn in different industries too. But an example where someone had to kind of squish down their expenses and then how they kind of got creative in saving money. 
Sure. One of my favorites, I put them in the book, um, was the Savannah Bananas baseball team. They're, mm. And they're very Googleable. And I encourage anyone listening in, Dr. Don, to, to Google the Savannah Bananas to see. What's so fascinating about them is they implemented Profit First in their business. They're a baseball team, mm-hmm. and they're in the minor uh, all-star league. Uh, the average attendance for a baseball game in that kind of venue is about 250 people. It's the friends and family of the players. No right. one goes to those games. <laughs> well, therefore, these businesses don't make money. And this guy, his name is Jesse Cole, bought a minor all-star baseball team um, to actually make money. Well, he implements Profit First, and he realizes very quickly with 250 people attending, there's not enough money for, uh, for the scoreboard, like to run the electric on the scoreboard. So what does he do? He actually turns off the scoreboard. He realized that people were coming for these minor league games because their affiliation to the players, not to watch the score, quite frankly, on a major scoreboard. He also started realizing that people come to the game for entertainment. But with Profit First, he didn't have enough money to pay for entertainers. But then he looked at his baseball team and said, I got you know, 15, 20 guys here. They're going to be the entertainment. The first practice at Savannah Bananas baseball camp is actually how to line dance and not, not how to pitch harder or, or catch better. That's hilarious. As a result, now Savannah Bananas has become explosively successful. Their average attendance for a game is 4,500 people, 4,500 people. Wow. They pack the stands at standing room only. They are the only baseball team in history, all majors, minors, to sell out four consecutive seasons with live attendance. Every single game is packed and, and sold out because they amplified the entertainment. And they, they found ways constantly to do it at no, almost, to low cost because they always take their profit first. On a percentage basis, they're the now the most profitable baseball team of all minors, all-stars, and majors on a percentage basis. Majors are just bigger, but right. uh, on a percentage basis, because they take their profit first. And it's triggered extreme, extreme innovation. One last little thing is uh, they're the most featured minor baseball team on ESPN by a long shot. They were recently on because they're the first baseball team ever to play in kilts. Uh, and they, <laughs> They constantly come up with these funny, radical, different ideas, and the marketing and PR they get is off the charts. As a result, they now have consumption for their um, swag products, you know, jerseys and mugs and all the different things they sell internationally. I think they've sold their products to over 40 different countries, a minor league baseball team. That's how Profit First and the innovative part of Parkinson's Law can work for you. Well, and that's so interesting because um, in a lot of chiropractic offices, like if, if they want to grow, sometimes this is about kind of distracting away from profitable activity because as a chiropractor, when you adjust someone, that's a service and there's really not that much expense to it because besides your overhead, uh, considering like maybe selling nutritional supplements or selling other kind of stuff in your office. And so sometimes what happens is chiropractors start adding more and more and more services because they think that that's going to help them be more profitable and they get kind of distracted away from what the main thing is, which is quite profitable. And so I know you talked about that in the book, the importance of, of actually narrowing it down to what can you do the best that other people can't do and then really focus on that. And I was wondering if you could explain that a little bit because it's so, it's so universal in chiropractic where we get distracted because we had too many bells and whistles. And- Expansion. Yeah, that's Parkinson's law again. So what happens is it is easier to take on a new concept, new product. Hey, I can do blood tests and you know, diagnose blood and I can also uh, try out this new confangled thing because the, the procurement of that there's a high energy, there's excitement, something new and fresh. 
we don't consider, can we actually sell this? Um, is it going to be repeatable? And it forms what's called dilution. And dilution is where our attention now is required to two things. So not only do we have to pay attention to this new thing, it removes our availability from improving the, the established old thing. So we become less effective at doing what we're doing as we try the new thing. Well, very quickly, we start going into the rut where we're like, no one's buying this new product. Uh, no, my customers don't want this thing. Oh my gosh. The easier solution, the fast solution, the quick and dopamine release is let me just try something new again. So we get this dopamine release. We try the next thing. Like, oh, I have massage chairs. You know, people want to pay <laughs> totally. for that, right? And that doesn't work. And um, we, again, further dilute ourselves. A successful business achieves mastery at one specific thing. And, and the analogy when it comes to doctors, um, mm -hmm. I like to use like surgical doctors versus a general practitioner a doctor. Right. You go to a general practitioner, they can diagnose skin rashes and coughs and all these different things, but they only can address surface level. The second that skin rash is actually cancer and that cough is indicative of a heart uh, problem, yeah. uh, they send you to a specialist. And the specialist, it's interesting how they're different than a generalist. A generalist will attract the general audience in their vicinity. It's a convenience purchase. I hope you go to a general practitioner like I do, doctor. Yeah. When, when I go, uh, they are right in my town. They're a 15-minute drive. If my general practitioner says, I'm moving across the country, uh, please fly out for your annual. I'll be like, no. And if they say, I'm going to charge, you know, the $25 copay is not working for me. It's now a $5,000 copay. I'd be like, that's absurd. I'll find a new, a new general practitioner. Here's the interesting thing. A heart surgeon, if I have a heart defect, I'll pay a $5,000 copay. I'll circumnavigate the world to find them. I don't care what the bill is. I will borrow from friends and family. I'll do whatever it takes because my life is on the line. Yeah. And that's what we need to understand. That customers will go to an extreme to find a specialist when they believe the service is life-changing. When they see you as a convenience, causes downward price pressure, you're local to my town, you know, all chiropractors are the same, you're in trouble. But if your patients see you saying, you understand my exact ailment, my exact problem. You know how to manage it. You are changing my life. You are saving my life. Yeah. yeah. Um, they will put significant value in you. But the only way you can achieve that is by becoming masterful. Mm -hmm. Here's an example. I'm in a chiropractor who specializes in people who do karate. And he says, I, I will occasionally serve other patients, but if you are a martial arts expert and you compete uh, in martial arts, I only serve that market. I understand the trauma that your, your skeletal structure goes through and all these different things better than any other chiropractor. And yeah, 99% of them is the same as me and me is the same as them. But 1% of me understands the martial arts and exactly what your body goes through and they could never speak to that. Well, mm -hmm. these martial art experts will travel the globe to meet with this expert to get diagnosed. This a chiropractor will go to the main the main uh, martial arts events yeah. and set up shop there like a pop shop uh, pop-up shop to serve these clients. And this chiropractor charges a massive premium as a result. So we have the opportunity to specialize and your revenues will increase, or you can generalize and splinter out and you'll only dilute yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's so huge. We talk with the people. And again, we, I used to do that too earlier in practice until you get back to the one thing that you're really good at and you just rock at it. Right. So the, the next thing that I had uh, a question for was, a lot of times chiropractors come out of school and they have insane, huge student debt. And I know you had a big part about um, uh, taking down student debt. The crazy thing is a lot of chiropractors that we talked to were like, 
how much do you have left on your debt? What interest are you getting charged on your debt? And when that, what's that amortization and how, and can you pay it down early? And a lot of them have just put their head in the sand because it seems yeah. so huge. They don't even know anything about it. So maybe if you talk a little bit about debt reduction, because that's a huge problem in chiropractic. Yeah. So uh, debt is a major issue for most businesses. Um, so the first thing to know is you're not alone. Uh, of course, the solution of, is not a solution of putting your head in the sand. You can use a technique called the debt snowball. Now, this is not my term. This was something originated out of uh, Dave Ramsey's work. There's a book called The Total Money Makeover. It's focused on personal finance, but I translate it into business finance. Basically, the concept, as Dave Ramsey purports, is sort your debts out, if you have multiple student loans and so forth, from the smallest amount to the biggest amount due, as opposed to sorting out on interest rates, how most people do it. Right. Because the logical basis is to, short by, to sort by interest rate. Pay your highest interest rate loans first. Those are the most costly. Problem is, it doesn't feed human behavior. And human behavior is that we need early wins to carry on momentum. So um, what we do with debt is when we sort out our debts by the amount due, the smallest loan is the one we want to pay off first. So all the other ones, we have to maintain it, pay the minimum balance, but then to concentrate all your other uh, profits, any other remaining money toward your smallest debt, because now you're going to pay that one off the quickest. And there is nothing greater. And I, I had, listen, I had uh, $300,000 of debt. So I, I get a business debt and personal credit. I had $75,000 of credit card debt. Ooh, I know how painful and debilitating that is. And that was 11 years ago for me. Yeah. That was part of the reason I had depression. And when I started to pay off the smallest debt first and tear up that statement and throw it out, there is such a feeling of accomplishment and relief. Then the interesting thing is you're paying the minimum balance for those other debts. Now the snowball happens. You started paying, you were paying a minimum balance for that first debt that's gone now. Now you can add that to the next smallest debt. So now you have basically two minimum payments hitting that debt together. The snowball begins. Any extra funds, tear up that debt. Now you go after the next debt. And now you have three minimum payments all going toward one debt. And this big snowball goes on. It is not a logical approach, but we humans are not logically based. We're emotionally based. We get these early rewards, we'll build up momentum. One last thing. Um, it was fascinating. I was watching Susan, Susie Orman. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, I'm not really necessarily a fan of hers until I saw this one episode of her. And I'm like, now I'm a fan of hers. She said, the day we put more significance and get more joy out of saving than spending is the day you become rich. And it's true. The day we put more significance in not how, what, how we're living our lifestyle today, but eradicating those past debt for student loans and saving money is the day you've become rich. Because when you get joy out of that, all those debts, will become, instead of burying your head in the sand, it'll become a moment of exhilaration as you tear up the debt. And, and tell me just a little bit how, about your process doing that. Cause I've done that too, where I, I used to be like the big spender. And yeah. uh, if, if my account was at minus 1500 in my brain, that's zero. Cause, cause you're oh, always yeah, in your sure. line of credit. Yeah. Um, how did you kind of switch? How did you switch it so that you actually had more joy in savings than in, and then it not? Yeah. So, uh, I look at my bank account a lot. So I used to look at my bank account a lot to see if I had money, like, and how, how bad are things or did a deposit come in? Yeah. Now what I do is I've set up these multiple accounts I share with you, plus additional ones for plans and visions I have in the future and I allocate money toward it. And I get joy out of saving for those things. As an example, I translated profit first to my own lifestyle vacation. Uh, we want to go to the beach. We want to get an oceanfront house. You know, the big dream, it's, it means a lot of money. Yeah. Well, my wife and I, at the beginning of last year, we started saving for this and we put it away every single week, money to that account. And I see the money accumulating. 
So it's serving yes. that goal or that vision I have of, of a, a beach house vacation as I see the money accumulate. I get the satisfaction of going on vacation every day when I log in, see there's a little bit more money in there. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> it used to be no money. I'd go on the vacation, ring up credit card debt. I would feel great for a day or two when I'm down there. And the day before I'm leaving, like, oh, that credit card bill's coming. And when the bill would come, it's a punch to the face. And now it's paying off for my past sins. Like, how do I pay for this? And it was constant panic. Every time money's going to the credit card, it was disappointment. I still owe money. So I've reversed it. Every time money goes to the savings account, there's joy. It's like, hey, I'm getting closer. I can feel the building. I experienced the vacation positively before it happens, where in the past, I was experiencing it negatively after it happened. That's so good. And I, we, my wife jokes around and calls it bean counting because we've, we've put up four savings and we've done that for quite a while. And that that's actually what changed my whole life. So it, just, it wasn't yep. quite the same system, but it was the same idea similar, where, similar. where you just take it away and you can't touch it. But then you just, you just can look at it periodically. And instead of looking at your bank balance going like, what can I afford to buy today in my business? You're more like, oh, this is my nest egg or my immortality account or something that's growing, which really gives you excitement, right? It totally does. So, so tell me a little bit about um, your next book coming out, and uh, because I know, I know, like, because you have six books uh, yep. right now, right? That are out there. So everybody needs to get out there and get these. Um, it's on Audible, which is great because I love it on Audible because yep. we can kind of just listen, listen to that. Um, but you have another one coming out, I think, in February. So maybe tell everybody about what's coming up and and why you wanted to write that book. Yeah, thank you. Um, so the book is called Fix This Next, and what I do is as I write my books now, I'm constantly in front of entrepreneurs, just learning about challenges that they have. I'm ex I still run my own businesses. I own three companies right now. Uh, own, don't operate, that's key. So you <laughs> operate your stuff, right? So, uh, and I wrote a book about the, the need to own, not operate. And um, I'm constantly getting insights on what the challenges are. Here was the interesting thing. I truly believe the biggest challenge that business owners face, is they don't know what their biggest challenge is. So there's this constant need to put out fires. And when we come in, our agenda is dictated more by our email than our vision for our business. And so I wrote Fix This Next to identify and pinpoint exactly what our business needs resolved now. Instead of rushing to all the apparent issues that are going on, we're going to identify the one singular impactful thing that will launch your business forward. And once that's resolved, we'll identify the next one in sequence. So what Fix This Next does is order a business to fix one thing at a time, but the right thing at a time. Mm, that's pretty amazing because, because I know when we're working with chiropractors too, like a lot of times businesses are doing a lot of things, right. Um, and there's yeah. just maybe a couple things that they need to tweak. And, and, and this has sometimes happened to me in the past too, is that sometimes you actually think you need to fix something that you don't and you actually wreck it. So like something's already working pretty good and you think, well, I need to change up my business a bit. So I'm going to change this. But if you haven't really analyzed, if that's the weakest thing, um, actually, maybe talk a little bit about, I, I didn't get to see the, 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 the thing in the book because you had it on Audible, but you talked about when you're going from A to B and sometimes you make a decision and it actually takes you further away from B. Yeah, that's great. You know that part. So it's called the survival trap and I refer to it in many of my books. Simply this, right now today, we're at point A in our business. And if you had a piece of paper in front of you, you can just write A on a piece of paper right in the center, wherever you want. The, the survival trap is that any action we take will get us away from A. And A, usually for most businesses, is it's a painful thing. We don't have enough money, we don't have enough clients, uh, things aren't working well, so we wanna escape A. Any direction we take will get us out of A. So you can go up, down, left, right, anywhere on that paper. Now, let's draw a point B in the bottom right corner and that piece of paper. Chances are the arrow you drew was not going in that direction. 
sometimes happenstance happens and, and you go yeah. in the direction and you're like, hey, business is finally working. But most cases we're reaction to running away from A and not moving toward a vision. We get that new equipment, we try that new thing and it's, just, it's all over the place. Yeah. So what we need to do is very clearly have a point B, a mapped out vision of where we wanna go in the short term and the long term and then every consideration of our business is, is it consistent with getting us that vision? If not, it's not a good decision. And now we'll find out, it seems like 80% of the decisions we make are just to escape A, but are not moving us toward B. That's so cool. And so, so tell me, when is this book coming out? So Fix This Next actually is being released in April. It's available now on Amazon for pre-order, um, but it is coming out in April, not, not February. Okay. Oh, so, okay. April is when coming out. So, so for anybody who wants to get more information about you, cause I know you probably offer, I, I, I know you've, you've have like, don't you have a program now? I was, I was looking at it possibly to I go into too, just like a program that you can kind of get some of your stuff. Cause you have something like 30 books on the go. Like you have so much stuff going on. So maybe tell the <laughs> yeah. listeners a bit about how they can work a little bit more with you. Yeah, I, I will, to my final breath, our planet, I will do everything I can to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. The, the starting point is mikemichalowitz.com, but no one can spell that, so there's a shortcut. It's MikeMotorbike.com. My, uh, my nickname in high school is Mike Motorbike, so uh, it <laughs> rhymes. So go to MikeMotorbike.com. On there, click on Get the Tools, and here's what I'll do is I will email you all the, uh, I don't call it the, the free chapters, I call it the impact chapters. I pick the best chapters of every one of my books, the ones that will actually have impact, and you get them for free immediately. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal, you'll get that content. I'm a blogger and podcaster. But what I do is it's in a single email, you'll get a PDF with all these links so you can access everything and anything in one shot in one day um, and view it for as long as you want, as long as you just maintain that PDF. And so that's like mikemotorbike.com and just click on get the tools. Okay, and maybe just mention your podcast too because obviously people listen to this so they like to listen to other business podcasts. So sure. Podcast? Oh, thanks for inviting me to do that. So the podcast yeah. is called Entrepreneurship Elevated. It's on you know, Stitcher, iTunes, all the major uh, pod catchers. Just go to you know, Google Entrepreneurship Elevated, two words, and you'll find it. That's great. Well, um, for the, this is a funny question. I always call it my Terminator question. <laughs> so in the movie Terminator, um, they can travel through time. And yeah. so if you were to be able to travel through time back to like in those days when you're really struggling and you could give yourself some fatherly advice or, or, or give yourself some good advice when you're younger, what kind of advice would you give your younger self if you could time travel? So I would, first of all, uh, tell myself to make sure I get the DVD set of Terminator, uh, particularly Terminator <laughs> 2, which is the best one ever. So my favorite movie is so, Terminator 2. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, rock on. Hasta la vista, baby. Yeah. Um, so uh, what I would do is tell myself, I would not give myself any shortcuts. I think the pain and struggles are necessary for all of us to, to draw that stance. I will never allow this to happen again and find a solution. I think that's why I tell myself is I will experience pain. I will struggle in life and in business. Those moments are opportunities to take a stance uh, as opposed to wallow. I wallowed too long in struggles um, yeah. when I could have just said, this is an opportunity to never allow this to happen again to myself or anybody else. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause it's kind of weird. I, I wrote a book called the underdog curse and we call, call it closing the refractory period. So like as soon as something happens, the quicker you can close that refractory period and get back on with it. Right. That's how you kind of take That's, that's huge. That's take, exactly it. Doctor. Take the trauma and like learn from it. And I love move it. To the next level. So that's great. So, so we, we, again, we have chiropractors that are all over the world. Um, the last couple of minutes, just like to spread any of your last words of wisdom to maybe those, uh, chiropractors that might be having some challenges with their sure. business head in the sand, what, what kind of uh, things would you like to leave them with? 
So first of all, thank you for doing what you do as a chiropractor. I go to a chiropractor regularly. It's funny. Someone's like, oh, you have a bad back. Is that why you go? I'm like, no, I don't have a bad back because I do go. Amen. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so I proactively, I, I understand the benefits and that's why I go. So you as a chiropractor are providing a necessary, important service for our society. Plus it invites people to explore different ways of healing. So thank you. I think this is what you don't know, but it's so important. Your clients want you to be profitable. They are starving for you to be profitable, but they will never say, they'll never say, Hey doc, could you charge me more for what you do? They'll never say, Hey, can you start <laughs> ripping me off? But here's what your clients will say that I want you to spend enough time with me to give me proper care. I want to make sure that when you're focused on me, you're focused on me and not worrying about something else. I want to make sure that you doctor are not under stress because I want to alleviate my stress and my challenge. And the only way not to be stressed, not to be distracted, not to be panicked is if you don't have to worry about money. If you're sitting there, you know, adjusting someone saying, I need another patient, you can't focus on the task at hand. So your clients want that stability. That stability comes from profit. So they want you to be profitable. You have a responsibility to be. And the last thing I want to share is to get started. Now we share the profit first system. I'm afraid that many people won't do it because it'll overwhelm multiple accounts and so forth. Here's the simple call to action. Go to your bank immediately. You can do this today. You can actually even make it super efficient. You can call ahead Tell them that the paperwork done for you. So it's a five minute visit to sign some papers. Tell them you want to set up one savings account and call it profit. That's what you're going to do. Step two is every time a deposit comes in, allocate just 1% of your income. Thousand bucks come in, put 10 bucks in the profit account. And the reason I want you to do this, it'll start building the profit muscle. You'll start seeing, yes, your business can take a small percentage for profit in advance and then profit will accumulate. And then I'll know just a matter of time before you say, what if I change that 1% to 2 or 7 or 10 and start to grow it? And that's when you implement the full profit first system. That's so good. Well, I just gave me goosebumps because that's what we're always talking about is that we need, we always say in order for chiropractic to thrive, we must have thriving chiropractors. And that's yes. not only, that's not only like health wise, because sometimes we don't look after ourselves because we're looking after everybody else, like physically, like for our self-care yeah. for our body, but then financially is a huge one too. So, um, I'm just I'm just so happy with this this interview because this is going to help chiropractors so much. And so all you chiropractors out there, you better share this with everybody because yes. because we all need to hear this. So I, I just wanted to thank you so much. I know you're a busy guy taking some time out to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I I appreciate you having me, Doctor Don. Thank you. And so for everybody out there, like there's so much stuff in here. So first off, your first action step is to get the book, and then um and then again check out all the stuff that's on the MikeMotorbike.com because that's easy Mike to remember. Motorbike, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and so thanks very much for listening to this podcast. Please share this with, uh, with other fellow chiropractors because we know that we're all kind of, this will help benefit all of us. And until next time, shift on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out. <laughs>